0: You can trust me. Words that are pretty easy to say, but sometimes very difficult to work out how to respond to. Because whether you trust someone is entirely dependent on what it is that you are trusting them for. Think about the last time you said the words, you can trust me. You need Erling Haaland in your fantasy league team. Trust me. Or, they're going to pay for promising that to their child. Trust me. Or even, I'll remember to sort the car insurance. Trust me. Now, those are very different things, aren't they? To saying, we're going to get through this tricky patch where... We're physically exhausted and emotionally drained. It won't stay like this. Trust me. It's a very different, very different question. Will you trust me? What about Jesus? What do you trust him with? The most important question is maybe not do you trust him? But what do you trust him with? Maybe all you trust Jesus with is the guidance to become a moral person. Maybe to give you some sense of purpose. Or to sort of make things okay in the end. Or do you trust Jesus with your life? Do you trust him with the painful things that really spoil your life experience? Do you trust him with the things that no one else knows are going on? What about your death? In Mark's account, we see Jesus confronting some things which often spoil life. Just like with nature and evil that we've seen in the last few weeks. Here we see him come up against sickness and death. Mark is building the picture of Jesus' total power. Total authority. It's like Jesus is saying to us this afternoon. You can trust me with your life now. You can trust me with your greatest pains because you can trust me with your death. You can trust it. We'll see that this afternoon. Will you? In our stories, we have three distinct scenes. The first is this, in verse 21 to 24, a desperate father. Keep your um, Bible open. That would really help me and you uh, Verses 21 to 24, a desperate father. Look, as usual, in the last couple of chapters, a large crowd is with Jesus, all asking the question that our series is kind of building up to, who is this man? That's Mark's narrative flow in these chapters up to chapter 8. Put yourselves in the shoes of the people at that time. They've seen him do some amazing things already. Rumours will have been spreading. Stories have been told. So once again, Jesus has a crowd around him. It's here that we meet a man called Jairus. He's a synagogue leader, respected, an important man, well known in the community. Already, Jesus has wound up some of his religious community this man this man's so desperate he doesn't come to jesus with that kind of religious pomp there's no ceremony in what he does have a look down no no that's a desperate and simple plea as you'd imagine my little daughter is dying please come and put your hands on her so that she could live Jairus trusts that Jesus can heal his daughter. She's on death's door, he says. He's a parent in anguish, and he has some faith that Jesus can do something about it. His cry is the cry that we have at God so often Can those that we love please not suffer and die? So look at Jesus, verse 24, he goes, he changes whatever plans that he had, and he goes with Jairus, this desperate father. But on their way to this urgent matter, Jesus gets interrupted by a woman. Just put yourselves in Jairus's shoes for a moment. If you have been in the position where someone you love dearly is in desperate, desperate need, you could just imagine. What? What? His daughter is on death's door, dying. And this woman has caused Jesus to stop. It's like an ambulance driver on the way to a serious motorway road traffic incident, stopping for a coffee. Why? Why does Jesus do this? Well, let's look at the woman in the second scene. Verses 24 to 34, a woman's faith. Jesus is in this large crowd. If it was today, you'd imagine people would have had their phones out, streaming onto the internet, what was going on. They're interested to see what's going on, what's going to happen as they follow Jesus. And then we see in verse 25 that there was a woman in the crowd who'd been subject to some sort of bleeding for 12 years. Look, Mark wants us to have a real close look at this woman. She couldn't be more different to Jairus. They're both in the same story, so there's an obvious comparison. Jairus was powerful, respected. Jairus was named. This woman she was a no one an unnamed woman she would have been unclean according to the Jewish law as she was suffering from bleeding anyone who had touched her would have had to have gone through a process to be made clean again having to go through the purification rites to be able to then go to the temple and so she would have been an outcast for 12 years she was lonely She was desperate. She suffered quietly, privately. No one would have quite understood what was going on behind closed doors for this woman. Maybe you can identify. But both are helpless. Notice what Mark says about the woman in verse 26 she had suffered a lot seen many doctors and nothing had got better. Her only hope, just like Jairus, was this man, Jesus. And she trusted that Jesus could heal her. So she touches Jesus and instantly is healed. And then we see Jesus ask this question. What the disciples thought was a ridiculous question. Who touched me? Jesus is in a large crowd pressing around him. Probably in the last five minutes, a thousand people could have touched his cloak. Verse 30 says, he noticed power had gone out of him. He realised that someone had touched him in faith and had been healed. And so he asked, who's touched me? You can imagine the disciples almost laughing. What do you mean, who's touched you, Jesus? Like, everyone. Everyone's touched you. Literally a thousand people. But zoom back to Jairus at this point. He must have been frustrated. Jesus, come on. Come on, Jesus. You don't need to know who's touched you. My daughter is on death's door. Can you just imagine being Jairus there? Desperate really desperate in touch with jesus right there and yet what does jesus do jesus's response in that situation is not what jairus would have been immediately hoping for jesus's response in that moment clearly is not what jairus would have been immediately hoping for Can you trust Jesus at a time like this? When God's timing seems bizarre? When you're frustrated and things don't seem to be going your way? When you know He can step in, but He doesn't seem to be? Can you trust Him then? Well, why does Jesus stop and ask this question? Who touched me? It's not just because he's curious why did he stop and ask who touched me because she needs to know why she's been healed we need to know here's why Jesus didn't just want a transactional encounter you know the process of getting on the underground, it's so simple now isn't it, any kind of card seemingly, you can just tap and go Straight through the door. You don't have to talk to people. There's no, it's really quick. It's just a tap and go. Jesus didn't want a tap and go encounter. In which the woman just tapped, was healed and got through. Think about this woman. 12 years of pain and suffering. 12 years of feeling like an outcast. Twelve years wanting one thing to be healed, but this is vital. If she'd have just had a tap and go healing, that wouldn't have been the answer. Discipleship is not just getting our needs met, but it's growing in our relationship with the Lord Jesus being known by him and knowing him on his terms. To trust him, you need to know him. The woman also needed to know who Jesus really was. She needed to know it wasn't a magic cloak, not superstition or positive thinking. It was nothing In her, she had to meet him. See, all Jesus has done so far is a way of saying, you can trust me. And this woman has. She knows he has the power to heal and so she came to him trusting him. Can you trust him? Look, this is really hard stuff. Maybe you are really suffering. Maybe you've been suffering for years. Maybe there's something right now that you are praying would go away. Will you invest in whoing Jesus? Will you trust him in the face of real suffering? Because we see Jesus' character is full of compassion. He deeply cares for you. And that means that whether he deals with your current pain and suffering as you'd immediately imagined like he does with the woman or not how you'd immediately imagined like Jairus which he does right now we can be sure that he is completely trustworthy and a complete comfort to us thirdly we see in our final scene our saviour's power think back to Jairus surely this woman who had had this problem for 12 years Years. Surely she could have waited an extra half an hour. Surely. Surely she could have waited while you dealt with my daughter. Surely, Jesus. And then before he knows it, verse 35, have a look down. We hear his daughter is dead. Here's the harsh reality. It's the unavoidable statistic. Our mortality rate is 100%. Death is close to us. We know it. It hurts. And Jairus has been confronted with it here. And Jesus says, verse 36 Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. Trust me. God's absolute control, Jesus' supremacy, doesn't always look exactly how we want. It doesn't look how we expect or imagine. He doesn't operate on our schedule. He's saying, remember the storm? I showed you that my love is compatible with going through storms now I'm saying it's compatible with even the most unthinkable suffering often when things seem delayed when things don't sit right when we can't see why things have happened it's because we don't have the crucial information we don't have the full picture some essential thing is unavailable to us at this time but what we can do is we can know our Saviour, Jesus. Will you invest in knowing Jesus? In the face of real heartache, suffering and pain, will you trust him? See, with Jairus, he came wanting healing. Jesus is now calling him to believe. He can do so much more. He's saying, will you trust me even in the face of death. Don't be afraid, just believe. So he arrives at this house, and there is commotion, we're told. The culture would have been very different to ours in Britain. It might have been a few people doing that thing where you silently cry, um, keeping a straight face and sniff and wipe your eyes. But in the Middle East at this time it would have looked very different. It would have been a commotion. Um, some Jewish customs meant that they were forced to, they had to employ people to wail and play a uh, dirge. It would have been a real commotion as they arrived at the house because the girl was dead. And so look at what Jesus says. Just imagine how that would have been received why all this commotion and wailing this child is not dead but asleep can you imagine the awful mix of silent looks of disgust and sniggers sharp intakes of breath like when someone makes a distasteful intense remark in a volatile situation the moment where you just want to not be there But Jesus, he sends them all out. And if you were thinking, well, maybe she wasn't dead, we can be sure she was definitely dead because of the mourning and wailing. They'd have made absolute sure. The professionals would have checked that she was dead. They weren't stupid. They knew what a dead person looked like, acted like, felt like. Jesus actually uses the same word to describe Lazarus when he raises him from the dead. He'd been dead four days and been smelling. So he's not making a medical judgment as he talks about what's going on. This is Jesus' phrase, she's asleep. This is how Jesus views death. It's not final, this is how we can view death if we trust in Jesus. But look at the gentleness of Jesus here in Verse 41. He took her by the hand and said to her, cum," which means little girl, I say to you, get up. See, Mark, Mark records the words in Aramaic, literally as they'd have come out in Jesus' mouth. The rest of the gospel account is written in Greek. But here he wants to preserve the moment, exactly what Jesus did, how sensitive he was. Little girl, get up. See, for Jesus, death is no greater obstacle than a parent waking a child up from sleep. Little girl gets up. It was as easy for Jesus to wake her up as it was for us to wake someone up from a snooze. This is the power Jesus has. See, death might be the great enemy for the rest of us. It might be unavoidable for us. But not Jesus. He has supreme power over death. That's why he came. This is what Romans 5 said that we looked at a few weeks ago. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Do You see, it's not what life is meant to be about. Death, it's an intruder. It doesn't sit right. Death is an intruder in our world that followed sin that we're all responsible for. Jesus is saying, like he did to the little girl, if I have you by the hand, death, it's nothing but sleep. Jesus is saying to us this afternoon, you can trust me with your life now. You can trust me with your greatest pains because you can trust me in the face of death. His healing of the sick woman is a picture of what Jesus achieved for us. At cost to himself, he offers life to those facing death. When he went to the cross, He faced the ultimate consequence of sin so that we could ultimately escape the consequence of sin. He went into the tomb so that we could be raised from it. You can trust me with your life now because you can trust me with your death. Mark deliberately puts these two stories together. There's a, there's a deliberate comparison between these two characters. They both had one thing in common. They were both victims of desperate circumstances and both had no hope but for Jesus. And Jesus allows these circumstances so that they would ultimately see that he is supreme over Suffering and death. Look, if you're here this afternoon and you're here for the first time, it's really good to have you. It's really heavy. You're always welcome back. It might not always be quite this heavy. But looking at these verses, have a responsibility to say, no matter how young and immortal you might feel, we have to come to terms with death. And Jesus' claims, well, Jesus himself claims to be the only hope for you in the face of it. Are you at peace with the fact that you'll face death? Death? Have you responded personally to the person of Jesus? And look, if you do follow Jesus, will you continue to trust him in everything? The small things as well as the big things, the things that don't go our way when we want them to, when timing is all off, when it doesn't fit with our agenda. We're in danger sometimes of saying, I trust Jesus with my life. Meaning, I trust that I will have life into eternity forever with Jesus. And yet, sometimes the most difficult thing is to trust Him with our life now and what that looks like. Jesus wants us to trust Him with all our lives, all of the details, all of the brokenness, all of the suffering, all of the doubt. You can trust Jesus with your life because you can trust him with your death. So trust him. Because our death is just a sleep if we trust in Jesus. When I was growing up in, in church, I was uh, going through my late teenage years, and there was a couple of men that... Um, kind of made it their mission to invest in me and share something of the gospel with me. Um, And one of them was a a guy I really, really looked up to. He was um, a sporty guy, which helped me. He played anything and everything from football to skiing, running to cricket. I used to really appreciate him because he was excellent at pretty much every sport I ever played with him. And yet he was kind, really kind to me. So he was always enjoyable. He was a head teacher of a local school. He was um, well respected. He was successful. He gained recognition through all sorts of awards. And yet, he wasn't big time. He genuinely cared about me. He went out of his way to ask me how I was. He... Um, out of nowhere, I was diagnosed with motor neurone disease. And I watched this tall, athletic, energetic man that in every way I wanted to be like be reduced to a shell slumped in a chair, unable to swallow, speaking just on a handheld device, typing away. I used to go around and visit where he was being cared for, and we'd play chess. It was pretty much all we could do. I had to move his pieces. And I vividly remember being sat opposite him across a tiny wooden table, him slumped down in a really bad way. And one thing never changed he always smiled. His obituary read that he had a zest for life that was never removed from him. I, I just won't forget the words that he typed into his machine one afternoon as I asked. I can smile because Jesus gives me hope in the face of death. I just never experienced a person who was so sure it just made me think I want to live and I want to die like John a few weeks later John died aged 48 John trusted Jesus with his life and his death look in this story we see Jesus says, You can trust me. Whatever painful circumstances you might face right now, real and hard, you can trust me. Because you can trust me even in the face of death. Will you? Will you trust Jesus? Will you have faith? in the one who has power even in the face of death? Will you have a trust in him that transforms the way that you approach life and every suffering that you might face? Because he, he is our only hope in life and in death. I'm going to pray and we're going to have a minute before we sing. Father, it's really hard to talk about suffering and it's really hard to talk about death and it brings up in us raw feelings of hurt and that's right because death is an intruder in your world and so Lord, we're so thankful that the Lord Jesus offers us real hope in the face of painful circumstances, in the face of death, please would you help us to invest in knowing him personally as our Lord and Saviour. Amen. We're just going to have 30 seconds as Pete begins to play and then we'll stand and sing together.